mid-January, and the World Health Organization tells us that last week saw three times as many COVID infections globally as the same week in 2021, but fortunately, only half as many deaths. Industry leaders and policymakers are eager to understand the impact on consumer behavior, on retail activity, and the economy overall of this spike in COVID. Today on Commerce Code, we'll talk about how fickle we all can be when we make decisions as consumers. In this edition of Commerce Code, nudging consumers into retirement savings and charitable giving, a conversation with Rami Nasser of Olive Group. Dan Carell here, and this is Commerce Code brought to you by DCA, the Digital Commerce Alliance. Thanks for joining us for insights into the evolving world of digital commerce. The pandemic's impact on consumer behavior continues to be very region specific. Google's Community Mobility Index uses GPS data to analyze where we go and how often. As of January 9th, the U.S. Mobility Index showed that Americans visited retail establishments 21% less than the same week in 2021 on average, reflecting a reduction in activity as a result of the spike. But that's just the average. In South Dakota, retail was up 2% and grocery was up 9% compared to a year ago. Idaho was about the same. By comparison, Washington, D.C. saw a 53% reduction in retail trips. And California and New York saw reductions in retail visits of around 35% each. So different groups of people react differently to similar situations. Today, we'll take that theme and pivot to a topic that also relates to everyone's long-term well-being. Is it possible to nudge consumer behavior towards retirement savings and charitable giving, and perhaps to do it in a way that drives consumer brand loyalty? 50% of American families have no retirement savings at all, and the average account value is about 10% of what consumers themselves estimate will be necessary for a comfortable retirement. The shift away from pensions to 401ks increased overall retirement account values, but it did result in many people simply not choosing to save at all. Today on the show, we're talking with Rami Nasser of Olive Group. Olive Group lets consumers round up their transactions and put the roundup value into their retirement savings or charitable giving or to save for a major purchase. Olive Group talks about it as helping people reach their financial goals and as financial empowerment. It's important and it's all made possible through better financial technology. Rami, we are so excited to have you joining us today. Where are you joining us from? Right now, I'm in snowy Ontario, Canada, about an hour outside of Toronto. Fantastic. So we're really excited that Olive has joined Digital Commerce Alliance. And I spent some time on your website this morning just learning and kind of taking some things in. But I would love it if you could lay out for me and for our listeners, what does Olive do? So at its core, we like to think of it as a financial empowerment as a service platform. Definitely a mouthful, but... What drives our team is finding innovative ways for wealth managers, charities, luxury brands, even payroll providers to empower customers with new ways to save for their financial goals. So an example of that for wealth management companies, potentially, it could mean introducing roundups and cashback reward offers that help individuals save towards retirement goals or down payment on a home, which we know is obviously escaping us further and further these days. With charities, we create new ways to increase recurring donations and offer the opportunity for multiplier or amplification effects for donor-based organizations. So I guess what we try to do is take the work out of creating a meaningful financial incentives program 
by providing an end-to-end solution that enables customers to link their credit card, enable rounding, and opt into rewards from a range of partners. So Remy, you are the Chief Experience Officer at Olive. Talk to me a little bit about that role and what you do. I'm not big on titles. I've never really been a big fan of them, but really I am the day-in, day-out champion for what customers ultimately need. So we're a B2B platform. So our enterprise clients, wealth managers, donor-based organizations, brands, retailers, et cetera, my first role is to ensure that we're listening to their needs and building our solution, our feature roadmap, all of that in response to that, rather than assuming really that we, we know what they're looking for. The second aspect of my role on the end user side, which is our clients and customers, is making sure that we're imparting learnings across our different enterprise clients to one another, being essentially a knowledge integrator so that we are creating just ultimately great user experiences for people in terms of reaching their financial goals and rewards. That's great stuff. And I want to come back to something that you mentioned earlier, which I think I understand, but I wanted to get a little more on it, which is you mentioned transaction rounding. Just talk to me a little bit more about what that's all about. It's the change. At the end of every one of the transactions, each and every one of us makes 40 to 45 times a month. So let's say you've linked your card through a wealth management partner, through a charity that you believe in and want to contribute to, through your payroll provider, whatever happens to be, and you go out, you spend three bucks, 35 cents at Starbucks, which now that I say that number, I realize probably doesn't actually buy you a coffee anymore. I'm not sure, but let's assume it's 335. What we do is we round that transaction up to the nearest dollar and we accrue that remaining 65 cents. So if you had registered for the program through your wealth manager, you would see that money eventually working its way into your retirement plan. Let's imagine you had done it through a payroll processor through your employer. You might not only see that roundup, that 65 cents, but you might see a partial matching or amplification from your employer as an incentive toward this. So really what we do is we act as that giant adding machine that is accruing your day-to-day transactions, taking that spare change, if you will, and helping putting it towards something meaningful. This audience has a very good handle, better than any audience in the world, I suppose, on the mechanics of how these kinds of things can work. And so I would love for you to just talk, and we don't have to get all the way into the nitty gritty, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how it works. So just to take the example of transaction rounding, if in that example, how does the value flow or how does the money flow and where does all of sort of sit in the middle of all that? Without going into all the details here, I think what's at our core since day one was a belief in the importance of open banking. So we did not want to build another fintech tool or platform that uses screen scraping and jeopardizes customer account information, data, passwords, and really financial security. So instead, we do it based on data feeds that we get from Visa and MasterCard for the customers obviously opted in and understands what they're signing up for and the benefits to them. And the nice thing about that is it is an agreed upon relationship and it's agnostic of the card issuer, which is probably most important. An end user can link basically any Visa or MasterCard in a single step and have the benefits, the rounding, the cashbacks, the matching, et cetera. So it is a completely consent-based system, obviously, and there's total knowledge on the side of the user. They're signing up for this and then attaching it, I think you said, to basically any kind of card, right? Yeah. And like... 
let's be fair here, a screen scraping approach where the system goes and reads what's on the screen once logged into your account is still consensual and consent-based, right? We didn't want to do that. There are many cases where screen scraping nullifies the protections you have in your agreement with your bank, with your credit card issuer, because you've essentially given as an end user your password to a third party. I don't want to go to the nitty gritty of that, but we just didn't feel that that is where things are headed. We're moving towards more open models. Best way I found to describe what open banking is, is actually through Facebook. I'm a cyclist. I like biking. I use an app on my phone called Strava, but I logged in to Strava via Facebook. And when I made that first connection, Facebook popped up and said, hey, Rami, Strava wants to access your friends list, your likes, your interests, your email address, which ones do you want to give which ones you don't. I find that a very good simile, I guess, to what open banking, the vision for it is. And open banking is ultimately about giving the end user control of their own financial data. And that's core to everything that we're focused on. That's a helpful analogy. You talk about financial empowerment as well, just as a descriptive of what you do. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that sort of financial empowerment as a service. Early on, we spent a lot of time researching, thinking about, and talking to people from all walks of life about what does it mean when we think about financial wellness? And the three pillars that really stood out to us were financial inclusion, financial literacy, and financial empowerment. First two are vitally important, and there are amazing companies and nonprofit organizations working to create meaningful paths forward towards financial inclusion, towards better financial literacy. We felt strongly that there weren't enough easy-to-use, secure, and scalable platforms out there for the empowerment piece. When everyone's included, when everyone understands and has a good basis in financial literacy, how do they take action going forward? And empowerment is about giving consumers and families control over their financial goals and reducing the friction in achieving these goals. So we set up to build a first financial empowerment as a platform service and have had unbelievable support along the way from programs like MasterCard Start Path Program to not only empower us in the vision, but also validate our hypotheses and our strategy as we've built this company. Listeners to this podcast are probably as tied in or aware of as anyone, the ways that different entities in financial services, especially in payments and digital commerce, sort of collaborate and work with each other, right? So like you could think of it as the value chain, but really it's, I think of it as kind of like an ecosystem because it's just, it's not linear, it's more complex than that. And so I'd love to get a sense again, so we can all imagine where you sit of what kinds of companies you partner with and how you do that. One of the core ones would be companies that are wealth managers. Here in Canada, there's a terrific company called Quest Trade. And really their goal was to take steps towards helping their end customers, regular human beings, not just think about investing once a year, but build that habitual practice, regular deposits. They felt that rounding in the, the cashback rewards was a way towards that. The second one, which is cause marketers. So an organization called Hope Factory that was looking for an innovative way to increase deposits for some of their local causes that they're working toward. And about two months from their first contact to launch, they configured their existing app for a local toy drive to enable people to link their cards. And they drove about $10,000 in net additional revenue just through those roundups in that period of time over the month of December. And I guess the third leg of that stool, if you will, is merchants. So one of our maybe differentiators, I could say, is working directly with brands where they can use cash back, not as a discount on the purchase, but a way to align and support with goals. 
It feels to me as you're talking that you're building a pretty significant network of consumers who can find value in a variety of different ways through what you're doing. And obviously a network of merchants and other players in the industry. And so there is presumably just a benefit to scale as you grow, right? And that you're able to offer more service or more value anyway to the whole network. Is that true? Yeah, I think that's a very clever and succinct way of putting it, right? That there is a network effect built in here. And one of the unique things we can do over time, and we're a young company, but over time, we can start to go to our merchant network and actually help them say, actually, this cause, this application, this wealth manager aligns more with your products, your services you sell. And you can also get some amplification effect versus a more, I guess, shot in the dark kind of, uh, you know, we're going to allocate $100,000 towards discounts to all types of customers. We can help them better segment and do slightly more strategic efforts on that front with the merchant relationships because we start to understand the channels. This has been a fun conversation and I think really helpful for our listeners as we continue to learn more about a very, very fast moving and evolving marketplace and fun to have you on, Remy, and we hope to have you on again in the future. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Coming right up, closing thoughts on helping people to do the things that they talk about doing. People talk about what's important and they do what's easy. That's one of the few things I know for sure. It's acutely true when it comes to retirement savings. It's important, so we talk about it. As for doing it, we mostly do it later. Not today, not yet. Definitely sometime, though. Eventually. Eventually never comes for about half of Americans. And the other half have surprisingly small retirement balances. Their incomes are pretty good. So for the top half, it's not really a lack of money. It's that we don't do what we say is important. So can we help people to do the stuff that they say is important? I think the digital commerce industry is in a far better position than anyone else to make that happen. There's this book called Nudge. You've probably heard of it. Nudge popularized the idea that we can give people a full set of choices, but we can influence them towards better choices just by the way their decisions are presented. It was written by an economist and a lawyer, but please don't hold that against the book entirely. One of the points of nudge is that we strongly tend to accept defaults. So accepting a default allows our tired brains to just save some energy so we can use it elsewhere, like on fantasy football or something. So when we get a driver's license, for example, if the default is that we're consenting to be an organ donor, most people just accept that default. And it has been shown to massively increase the number of organ donors in that state. There are legions of examples like this, and I think we all get it why this works. Well, people can set their own defaults, and that's what Rami is doing at Olive. I can set the default that my future roundups go to my retirement account or to my favorite charity. Future Dan, being human, being lazy, accepts the default, and retirement age Dan is going to be really happy about that. Behavioral insights like this are critical in any part of digital commerce that involves humans, which I think is all of it. The task then is for us to use these kinds of insights to help people act on what they know is best for themselves and to do it in a way that grows our business, that builds loyalty, that enhances value for our enterprises. If you're interested in more on this topic, check out a podcast called Hidden Brain, particularly a January 3rd episode. It's titled Choose Carefully. Rami told me about it after we finished recording, and it's a good review of many of these ideas with a leading business professor. 
To find out more about the latest trends in digital commerce and digital advertising, check out our website, www.digcomall.org. For the Digital Commerce Alliance, take care of yourself and take care of each other. God bless. This is Dan Carell, signing off. <laughs>